If I said to you, why do so many marriages fail today? I said, just simply, why do so many marriages fail today? Well, what would your answer be? Sex and money. Sounds like a mini-series we should be creating for television. Sorry? Lack of communication? Lack of care? Not prepared. Sorry, I, I'm, my ears are plugged. An understanding of love. There's a good one. Lack of commitment. I often look at uh, at Hollywood, which I, I, I've made this uh, analogy before, but when you look at Hollywood, Hollywood is such a celebrated part of our society. And how do their marriages do, typically? Better than average or worse than average? Worse than average. And a lot of it has to do to the fact that they are um, marriages that are created in, in this power position where... Both people have no dependence on one another. Usually they're celebrated marriages because both people are very uh, popular, have big, big, big movie paychecks or whatever. And, and there's really no sense of dependence on one another. And one of the things I think is really missing is that sense of love or that sense of necessary choice that, that we have to choose to serve. Uh, it's a selfless sense. Um, you can hear it in, in uh, e- even in those really romantic vows that people write for themselves. You know, he completes me. He's everything I'm not. Or this sense of still getting, right? We, we talk about in terms of, you know, this getting sense. What do I receive out of this? When actually Scripture frames the idea of marriage as some place where you're going to invest, where you're going to choose to love and exercise love as a decision to pour in, to commit to something, to put the other person's needs in front of your own. Well, the same is true when we start looking at our world. So many things are viewed from the perspective of what am I going to get out of it? And when I don't get out of it what I want to get out of it, I want it over. So a lot of marriages fail because uh, I don't love him anymore. I, I don't get the tinglies or I don't get the whatever the, however you describe the feelings or whatever. It, it's the sense of, of ending because I don't get what I want. Well, when we look at faith, other faith communities, or even how Christians have perspective on things, a lot of people do things to get the reward. Uh, Christian karma, if you like. We do good things to get good things. Well, we see it as an exchange. Or you look at it... um, Sort of, I'm going to, maybe we get pantheistic, kind of like the Buddhist, and say, you know, we invest in this greater sense. Uh, I pour into the good uh, so that there's more good out there. Or uh, Christianity is probably most marked by humanism. Uh, We do good for good's sake uh, and create a better living environment. Uh, Even sometimes how we serve in the church, we we do it from a Christian humanist perspective. We're not trusting in God. We're not serving and sacrificing before God. We're investing in something that we're looking for a return. We're we're looking for an environment that we want to set. We want to do things our way. And we we separate it all from the very supernatural. 
And really, one of the things that you see in history is that, that Christianity has been unique historically because volunteerism, that whole idea that you pour into something that can't give you anything back, is uniquely Christian. Uh, other faiths have, begun, have in time emulated Christianity, but it was always in order to gain points or a good standing before their God or whatever. But Christianity as a whole created hospitals, created universities, uh, created uh, the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty Against Animals. You know, SPCA is a Christian organization because we felt like there was something we could do. Alcoholics Anonymous, in its original form, was was a was a was a way to 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 volunteer in society, to bring a selflessness, bring a sacrifice to bear in the lives of others. And now our world is really saying, let's look and see what's in it for me. Hey, churches often communicate in those terms. What's in it for me? As opposed to saying, how can I pour in? How can I demonstrate selfless love? This isn't a contract. I get this and you get that. This is about saying, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I lay down all of my liberty and privilege for the honor of serving in His name's sake. We'll take a look at Philemon chapter 1. There's only one. Uh, verse 1 to 6. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I have heard of your love and of the faith you have toward Lord, the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for, for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. We gather on a Sunday morning and you hear every Sunday morning that you are called to a higher standard. And I imagine that at some point that gets a little frustrating. I come in every Sunday morning, Pastor Doug stands in the pulpit and reminds me that I am not what I should be. I wouldn't want to listen to me do that all the time. But why do we come and why do we listen? Why, why is that something that, that, that becomes part of the Christian life? Well, because the standard is Jesus Christ Himself. And so as we talk about the life we're supposed to live in Christ, there will always be a gap. But we are always to be striving. We are always to be holy as He is holy. We are always to imitate Christ. And so we, got, we have to keep the standard before us because He is the one and the only standard. Now imagine Philemon. We're going to get in and unfold the story a little bit in the, in the next couple of weeks. But, but just hear some basics about him. He is a Christian. He is a faithful member of the church at Colossae. And his slave, Onesimus, runs away. He, his, the slave runs away and he gets to Rome and he runs into the church at Rome. He eventually runs into Paul and then he becomes a believer. And this letter is written to Philemon to say to Philemon, I want to hold you to a higher standard. I'm going to hold you to a standard that is higher than the laws of the land. 
I'm even going to hold you to a higher standard than the explicit law of Scripture. Now you have to think, this Onesimus fellow, the slave, probably stole from Philemon. How does a slave get to Rome? He doesn't have a credit card. He probably doesn't have the wealth it will take to get away. So the most likely place that Onesimus got the resources to get to Rome is that he stole from Philemon. And he stole himself. He's a slave. He belongs to Philemon. So he took Philemon's wealth and he took himself, a slave that had belonged to a master. And Paul says, set it all aside and call him brother. Set it all aside. You have recourse under the law. Set it aside. You have, uh, culturally, they will understand if you want to beat him, you want to deal with him harshly. You have all of these privileges that are yours, but I want you to call him brother. Too often, when we deal with one another, we look for the lowest bar. We look for what can I say? What can I do? Versus in liberty and in the light of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ saying, how can I exceed the world's expectations? When I deal with a brother in Christ who has offended me, do I merely go, I have recourse Or do I stop and say, I can infinitely in Christ exceed the world's standard? How do we deal with one another? Paul is telling Philemon that when we have been wronged by one who is in Christ, we are to exceed the world's expectation. What a great environment to live in. Could you imagine being in a body of Christ who in relationship to each other, in all things, said, I will exceed any expectation. I will be more gracious. I will be more loving. I will be more understanding. I will be more caring. I will be more Christ-like. Could you imagine living in an environment like that? Where, where you weren't afraid of the words of one another? that you were knew that you were cared, that you were cared for not just to the bare standard, not just to that bar you can find and justify in your own mind or heart or in the law or whatever it is, but that you stop and see each other in light of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at this, we can see that one of the key elements that's being at play here is Philemon you have been forgiven. You have been forgiven much. Onesimus, your slave, how are you going to treat him? We know that story from Scripture. Our world says, I'll forgive when I want to. I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be mad. I have a right to be upset. You've done wrong by me. You can just go on and on and on and on with the way the world talks. 
in the marriage standard. Well, he doesn't pay enough attention to me anymore. She doesn't care anymore. She doesn't, she doesn't invest in me the way she used to. He doesn't speak to me as nice as when we were dating. He can just go on and on and on and on about their failure to meet expectation. Or you can stop and say, I'm going to demonstrate the grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. How much, how much does this body, should this body, reflect the fact that we are one in Jesus Christ and reflect that truth too? That I am loved and I love. I'm forgiven so I forgive. I've received grace so I'm gracious. So much of that has to be the tone and tenor of our hearts and lives. That's what Paul is calling to. And we are called to this loving concern. Let's look at the first three verses. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine being Philemon and opening the scroll, and the first word is Paul. Oh, your toes would curl up in your, in your shoes like a baby eating banana pudding. You would be ecstatic. This is as good as it gets. A believer in the Lord Jesus Christ gets a letter from the Apostle to the Gentiles, and his name is first. That is, that is a spectacular wonder that you were worthy of a scroll, of a letter, worthy to have it sent to you, worthy to have the, the, the apostle's name at the beginning. There's kind of an excitement about that. And it's Paul and Timothy. His father in faith, this bold proclaimer, this personal witness to Christ, this one who has suffered for the cause of the gospel, the one who is, will be in chains in Rome, the one who has been shipwrecked, the one who has been snakebitten, the one who has been stoned, the one who has been lashed for the name of Jesus Christ, who shared faith with you, it's from him. That is exciting mail. Is that me? And this is only one of three occasions where he writes to an individual. The first two were Titus and Timothy, but those were church issues. This is Philemon, I'm talking to you. Well, it's very personal to him and his household. Aphia, his wife, and Archippus, likely his son or a fellow soldier, to all who gather with you. Colossians 4.17 refers to Archippus and says, Take heed to the ministry with which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So Paul mentions to uh, Archippus. So there's this relationship. Did you ever ask anybody a question knowing that the result of the question might be, you know, ay, ay, ay. like on a woman's 40th birthday? Happy 40th! How you doing? <clears throat> Step back. Well, Paul, in his letter, throws one of those loaded statements. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right in this letter that comes from the apostle to the Gentiles, he includes this line that, that, uh, that would raise eyebrows. 
Remember the tension between the Jewish believers and the Christian believers? Well, this is one of those lines that's like, pull the pin, toss your grenade. <laughs> he uses it often. He ties the grace and peace of the Father with Jesus Christ. So in an age of hostility, it was a bold declaration. He took the opportunity in their, con- in their conversation, simple letter, to affirm doctrine. That's pretty, pretty interesting when you stop and think about it. How often do we do that in our simple conversation, is affirm doctrine with one another? How, how often do we speak of the truths of Scripture? Doctrine just means organized truth, right? So we take the truths of Scripture and we organize them, and that's doctrine, so that we can present it and talk about a single subject. So how often do we speak to each other doctrinally? How often do we talk about the magnificence and wonder of our Creator God? Imagine how, how nice that would sound in a world that, that goes on thinking we're monkeys or something. Or come from a primordial swamp. It would be nice to hear a brother or sister in Christ right into that bold, into that time that, that's of tension say something bold like, greetings in the name of the one who sustains all that he created. Oh, kind of gives you chills, doesn't it? Imagine if we spoke to each other the same way Paul is, doctrinally, throwing something in that says something about greetings to you in the name of the one who alone can save. In the middle of a world that keeps trying to tell you all kinds of goofy stuff, and that's the sermon tonight is why one way. But, but wouldn't that be nice to hear small affirmations in daily conversation about the nature of our relationship in God? Paul takes in the middle of this to throw in a line. It's not a throwaway line. It has nothing to do with the rest of the story. It's not talking about how to deal with Onesimus. It reminds him about the relationship in God. Right, about, right in the middle of a, tenuous, a ten, tenuous situation. So we should think about that when we communicate to one another. Wouldn't that be just a lovely thing to say to one another is affirm doctrine. Hey, brother, you know. The Lord Jesus Christ alone has purchased your soul. Sound, does, does it sound a little odd? Does it sound a little odd? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that sad that it does? Brothers and sisters in Christ can't greet each other doctrinally with, with wonderful truth of Scripture. Wouldn't it be nice? Grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul shows us how to, how to introduce a conversation. And so he introduces himself as an apostle, as a spiritual father, as a co-laborer, as committed to Christ. And he's going to move into his letter, which at the very heart is going to be about forgiveness. It's going to be about the relationship between Philemon Anonymous and Onesimus in light of his relationship, Philemon's, to Christ. So Paul is going to show how the character of a true believer should be and how one can forgive. And he's going to outline it in a character of concern. He's going to talk about the fact that it starts with love, intentional love. He's going to talk about the fact that it affirms who God is. He's going to move it to the character of a believer. It starts with a concern for the Lord. Verse 4, I thank my God always 
when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. It wasn't Paul's way of puffing up Philemon and saying, I thank my God always for you. Philemon's like, yes, of course. Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate all of your appreciation. It was a matter of encouragement. It was a matter of support. It was an environment, a Christian environment, where he was coming behind him and promoting faithfulness to Christ. This is going to be Philemon's strength against sin. It's going to be Philemon's strength against discouragement. It's going to be Philemon's call to love. Because in this, he's going, without this, you know, without this shoring up, without this remembering who he is in Christ, Philemon might act according to his worldly responses. Right? Philemon might say, hey, in the law I have recourse. He might say, you've wronged me and I want my retribution. But Philemon instead is hearing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to be asked to forgive a believer. And so it's marked for concern for the Lord. Remember God first. Christians forgive because they're forgiven. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 and following says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and ministry. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. For those who forget, for those who don't know Christ, this is just true. For those who have forgotten forgiveness, bitterness and selfishness, can overrun us. We need to first remember God. Remember God in our relationship to each other. Remember God in relationship in our home. The next time harsh words want to drip from your tongue towards your, towards your parents or towards your, your spouse, stop and think about what does it mean to be forgiven in Christ Jesus? What does it mean to live the life for Him? How should my voice be marked? How should my tongue speak? Forgiveness comes from the Lord and forgiveness and gentleness is the outflowing of those who have trusted and believed. But we also, not only a concern for the Lord, but a concern for people. I hear of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord and toward all the saints. This agape toward the saints. We're supposed to be marked in our life by the Spirit. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5 and 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is supposed to be what marks us in our conversations with one another. Between Philemon and Onesimus. Between brother and brother. Between husband and wife. We're supposed to be marked by love, by joy, by peace 
by patience, by kindness, by goodness, by faithfulness, by gentleness. Is this our every conversation? We can't lose track of the standard. The world says you're allowed to be angry. He made you mad. You're allowed to be bitter. You've been mistreated. You're allowed to be unkind. You're allowed to lack gentleness. Scripture says no. Not as one who's forgiven. Galatians 5, 6, 4, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. It isn't about who we are. It's about who we are in Christ. And it's marked. And it's visible. It is who we are. 1 John 3, 4, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. The evidence of our faith is our love for one another. The evidence of our faith, the fact we have gone from death to life, is made evident by our love for each other. Whoever does not love abides in death. This is different than friendship or companionship. This is different than liking everything the same. Some of you don't like country music. You will have to repent in heaven. But loving one another doesn't necessarily include all of the little idiosyncrasies and issues of life that make us either friends, friends or not friends. We can love one another, sacrifice for one another, be gentle with one another, be caring for one another, and not necessarily like the same things or the same way somebody speaks or the tone of voices or the whatever. It's different. It's stronger. It's more profound. We are bound together by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who went to the cross, shed His blood, laid down His life, humbled and humiliated Himself before the world in order to earn your salvation before the Father. In His blood and in His name, you are one. And you are called to love. And love and gentleness, love and faithfulness, love with patience, be kind. It's not an option. It's not a feeling. It's an obligation. 1 Corinthians 12.13, For in one Spirit we were baptized into one body, Jew or Greek or slave or free, and we are, were all made to drink of one Spirit. We are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are one. First Thessalonians 4, verse 9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Not something we should have to learn. It's not some kind of distant understanding. You have been forgiven. 
and you are loved by God, do you understand? Do you understand that you have been forgiven and loved by God? Lesson's over. Now you know. That now translates to the relationship. You don't have to be taught this. In Christ Jesus, you know how to be forgiven and know how to love. Now go and forgive and love. Not complicated. Not something we have to learn, but we know it. We're new creatures and dwelt by the Spirit of God, and this should be the outflowing of who we are. I'm forgiven, so I forgive. I've been loved when I'm unlovable. Unlovable me who wound up nailing Christ to the cross. It would have been sufficient for Him to have to go to the cross if there was only me in the world. And He loved me and gave Himself up for me. Despicable me. Not the TV show. Though it's very funny. He gave Himself up for me. As unlovable as I am. And I can presume at some point that I should be able to restrain love. I missed the lesson if I believe that. He loves the unlovable. And He's perfect. I am the unlovable. What right would I ever have to restrain that? I'm called in Christ to love. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans chapter 5, 5 and following. Or Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. The Spirit resides within us. This is what's normal. That the Spirit of God and the love of God that dwells within us would be the outworking of our life. It's that sinful old corpse that leads us astray. It's that dead old bag of bones that we insist on dragging around with us in its smelly, despicable sense that takes us away from what we are called to do. When we don't love, when we're not gentle, when we're not kind, when we're not considerate, when we're not living out the, the fruit of the Spirit of God, it's as if we propped up the old dead man that Jesus Christ died to slay and put in the grave, and we hold him up and go, this is me. And it's ugliness. Forgiveness resides in those who are redeemed, and we share it. With one another. Philemon also had a concern for the fellowship. Paul says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith, that's the word koinonia, the, the fellowship of your faith, that, that belonging together is strong, being bound together in faith. You share a Savior, you share a redemption, you share a spirit, you share a tru- truth. You're not an audience. You know? This isn't, you know, theater seats and we come in and we go, oh, good performance, thank you. You're not the audience. You're the family. 
We are us. It's just us. It's those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, knit together, now and eternally. You can probably change seats in eternity. It might kill you now, but in eternity you can. But it's just us. Knit together in Jesus Christ. One spirit, one hope, one baptism, one faith, one Lord over all. It's us. And when we gather together, we strengthen one another. When we gather together, we love one another. When we gather together, we encourage one another. When we gather together, we represent all that is wonderful and amazing and glorious in Christ Jesus as we express His love in and amongst ourselves. Is that what we did this morning? Is that what we've done when we've raised our voices? Was that the tone and tenor of our conversations coming in? That I am here to declare the wonder and majesty and love of the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope so. Because you're not an audience who's standing outside waiting to see, oh, what's the next act of the play going to be like? What's the next thing that's going to happen? That's, 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 this isn't an auditorium for that purpose. This is a worship center. We come gathered to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and be together. And everything we do out there, when we come in and we, and we prepare our hearts for worship, when we have our conversation, when we have fellowship time, this is us showing the love of Jesus Christ to each other in great anticipation that we're going to hear the Word and we're going to sing and we're going to get to love on one another. This is what we do. The koinonia, the, the gathering. There's no lone ranger Christian. Like, if you read Scripture, there is nobody who gets to sit at home and goes, I'm a believer and I just get my Jesus from TV. Now, I know there's shut-ins who, who can't get back to the body, but they're longing. They should be aching to be with us. They should be aching to be here. They should be praying. They're part of our body even when they're not here. But for those who wander off and go, I can celebrate Jesus on my own, they haven't read the Bible. Because Scripture teaches that we are, we are His, we are to, to share, we are to disciple, we are to love one another. How do you know if you love one another if you don't hang out with one another? If you don't teach one another, if you don't grow one another, if you don't spend time with one another? The idea or arrogance that somehow it's very North American to say my faith is my own and I can go wander off and, and flick on and watch Dr. Jeremiah at home and shut him off when he's done and, whew, I've had my church time. I mean, church means gathering. How did you gather, you and your TV? We gather. We build into one another. And we forgive one another. We get to demonstrate that Jesus stuff with each other all the time. Because if you hang around with me long enough, not very long, I'll need to ask your forgiveness. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm in need of my Savior as much as the next person. I need to be forgiven. And, and you get the wonder of saying, Brother, I forgive you. And experience just the wonder of what it is to be in relationship to each other and to know the Lord Jesus Christ and offer that forgiveness. You get to rebuke and correct. You get to love and you get to encourage. And you get to do this together. You get to be Christ in each other's lives. To imitate Christ and imitate Paul and, and do those things. But it's no good to be sitting and imitating Jesus in your living room by yourself. I mean, this is something we do together. 
and a concern for knowledge may become effective for full knowledge of every good thing. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What are the spiritual blessings? How do you know if you don't read the book? You don't spend some time with the Word. You don't spend some time with the Spirit of God. Who, who, this is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the inspired Word of God. How does it touch your heart if you don't open it? If you don't read it? If you don't spend some time and begin to relish? Now, what's that? Uh, the king was in the castle counting up his money. Right? That, that, how that little nursery rhyme goes. Well, that was his treasure, right? So he kept going up there and stacking the gold coins one on top of the other and counting them and move over and stack another pile. And when he was done, he'd start over again and stack his his riches and count them over and over and over again. And that's dumb. But imagine being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and getting to read through and hear the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, to see the wonder of your God displayed and spend time knowing Him more intimately and understanding the nature of the treasure that is Jesus Christ, that you will inherit His presence forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Ah, that's cool. It's not like stacking gold coins in a castle. It's about understanding the riches that are ours in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. We are new creatures. We have a hunger for God's Word. But how do we know what the old creature stuff is? Conviction of the Holy Spirit. Yes! What's He convicting us of? The stuff we find in here. The immorality. The lack of gentleness. The lack of kindness. The lack of love. We want to be in there. We want to understand. We want to know what it means to be a new creation. I think so much of the, the issues we face in this life, the, the so much, why, why do so many Christians fall into the trap of the world and, and guys get into midlife crisis and, and we get hooked up on materialism or, or we get depressed or all of those things. Why does that happen? What, why, how, does, how does a Christian who has an inheritance in heaven... I mean, apart from a thyroid issue or some medical malady, but I mean, but I mean the, the, the prevalent depression that goes on in our society. How, how, how does that happen? We don't know what it means to be new, made new in Christ. We accepted Jesus Christ and His Gospel and His Spirit's within us, and then we forgot to read the instruction manual about how to live life, how you can be Paul and be put in prison and be joyful and singing songs. That doesn't come naturally. That doesn't come naturally. That comes through experiencing God and His Word and understanding what it means to be made new in Christ and understanding the grace that's given to you so that in every day, regardless of what the world hands you, regardless of what happens around you, you are able to say, I have an inheritance in Christ and it is magnificent. We can get all happy-dappy about all kinds of crazy things, but they're all going to disappear. That which was, that is ours in Jesus Christ never fades. Never goes away. It only becomes sweeter as we approach glory. 
Forgiveness resides in a concern for the Word, for true knowledge. Where do we learn about sin and forgiveness and love and being loved and about relationship? When we're called to be imitators of Christ, where do we learn how to be an imitator? The Word. Before uh, skydiving, I went skydiving for my 16th birthday. I read about it, but I hadn't experienced it. I spent eight hours in intense training trying to understand what was ahead of me, but I hadn't experienced it. I'll tell you, it was very different the first time I got out of the plane. As much as I read it in the book, it was a very different thing to get out of the plane. When they say, okay, ready? Three, two, one, go. Go where? (laughs) Who's going? But I did experience it. It's one thing to say, I know Jesus Christ. And it's one thing to have trusted in His gospel one day in a prayer. It's another thing to experience Him in your life. It's a different thing to experience Him among, amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a, it's a different thing to meet Him in His Word and be satisfied in the revelation of who He is and to be just lost and reveling in who He is. To have a, a good foundation and to learn how to practice it. Lastly, a concern for glory. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. It's a reminder, all of this, all of this life we have together, all of this expression of love together, all of this studying the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, all of what we do, all of what we do in our life from the moment we believed until now, And then on into glory, everything we do is for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every word you speak, every relationship you interact with, every word that comes out of your mouth, everything you do is now commissioned for the purpose of Christ. That's what we're supposed to live like. We're to have a forgiving spirit because it pleases God. As those who have been forgiven, we are to forgive. As we live out our marriages, as we live out life as parents, as we live out life in the body, we are to live as those who seek to bring glory to God. You are forgiven in Jesus Christ. You are loved in Jesus Christ. Go and love. Go and forgive. Go show grace and mercy. Go live Christ in this world. For His name's sake. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. To forget to live the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is to have missed the gospel. We want assurance of faith. We want to look into the, into the Word. We want to trust in God. Absolutely. And God gives us every reason to trust in the fact He will not forsake us. He will not leave us. He will not abandon us. What is the testimony in our lives that say we believe this? What what does it look like? If you believe that God won't forsake you, if you believe God won't abandon you, if you believe the Lord Jesus Christ laid down His life for you, 
what does your life look like? I don't mean head knowledge. I mean complete belief. What does it look like? Can you believe wholeheartedly in the Lord Jesus Christ and live an unchanged life? No. To believe in Christ is to be changed. Paul writes his words to a friend, not an enemy. It's written to someone he loves. And he's asking him to forgive and imitate Christ. That's our call. Live Christ in our midst. Make His testimony our testimony. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for its power and we thank You for its call on our life. May it change us and transform us. May we live for Your glory and namesake, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.